It's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast presented by Zip Recruiter. If you're hiring, just posting your position, job sites waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it. It's not going to work. Zip Recruiter knew this a long time ago and understood there was a smarter way. So what they did was they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. And these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate through the site in just one day, and ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates, they're out there for you. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes, they trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, absolutely free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. That's E-Y-E. O-N, E-Y-E-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Again, I'm Gary Parrish. I got Matt Norlander here with me. He's in Connecticut. I'm stuck in Detroit because of the storm, and the NCAA tournament gets started again tomorrow. Loyola, Chicago against Nevada in Atlanta, Kentucky against Kansas State in Atlanta, Texas A&M against Michigan in Los Angeles, Gonzaga Florida State in Los Angeles. In Sunday's podcast, we discussed each regional, but we didn't really get into the upcoming games. But I did like the way we focused on one regional and then the next and then the next and then the next just felt organized. So we're going to try to do that again today. And we will start with the South Regional where John Calipari now says a team seed and path does not matter. Now, you might remember two Sundays ago on Selection Sunday when the Hall of Fame coach spent the night complaining about Kentucky seed and path. But now that the number one seed Number two seed, number three seed, and number four seeds are all gone from the South Regional. And now that UK is the highest remaining seed, John Calipari says seeds do not matter, pass do not matter. Norlander, what do you make of Coach Cal's newest <laughs> spin job? Never change Cal, ever. Never change. <laughs> it is it is terrific. And listen, he's going to say whatever he needs to say to keep uh, to keep his team. Uh, motivated, sharp, fresh to go from uh, hunting to the hunted. There's no doubt about it. Kentucky is the mainstream team here that are going to take over the building. Um, you know, there are seat allotments for every fan base that that is going to be playing at that regional. But nevertheless, Kentucky fans are going to swarm and, and certainly try and, uh, and and allow other fan bases to profit off their tickets if they so choose to. Kentucky's interesting because they've looked pretty good as of late. And they've got a great shot, obviously, at getting out of this regional. Um Kansas State, they get Dean Wade to play in this game, which is the, which is what is expected. He said on Sunday night he was 98% going to play, and then he has been practicing with the team. So that's a really good sign for K-State. But overall, Kentucky has the personnel. I'm not quite sure how close I think this game is going to be, but I think it does have a potential to be close, Parrish, in particular because – Kentucky doesn't shoot it well from three-point range, and Kansas State has a good enough defense where if Kentucky just through you know through the rhythms of the game and all that, but maybe regressing a little bit to what they were for much of the season, if that happens and they and they play cold, then obviously Kansas State will have a shot to to keep this game close. I will say this: if Kansas State plays the way it did against UMBC, Kentucky will win the game. It simply has too many athletes, too much length. Cal is a really good coach. K State's got to hope they got their stinker out of the way. Um, against the Retrievers because they can't afford to do that again. Most interesting for me with Kentucky is which Kevin Knox shows up 
because he was uh, he was good in one game and then was a no-show in the other there in the first weekend. And I still happen to think, even though Shea Gilgis-Alexander is their most important player, and he's certainly their most consistent player, and I love his story in general because he was the least heralded prospect, and now he's become the absolute must-have guy for that team. I still think Kevin Knox is really more of the barometer for Kentucky's success overall, and uh, I, I would like to see Kevin Knox show up and play well in this game. I obviously expect Kentucky to win. I expect Kentucky to win, frankly, by about 10 points in this one, along the lines of, say, 70 to 60 overall. So I will take the Wildcats. I'm intrigued by this one. What are your thoughts, GP? I, Kentucky, we've been playing basketball this season for, for many, many months. A whole lot of games have been played. Kentucky's played 36. Uh, Kansas State has played 35. Kentucky has had its ups and downs, but it has, I think, consistently been regarded as the better basketball team, whether that's you know, in the polls, whether that's at Ken Palm or any other um, metric available. Uh, so Kentucky would be favored over Kansas State on a neutral court. And Kentucky is favored over Kansas State. It's a five and a half point spread. Uh, but you touched on it. I mean, it is literally nicknamed Catlanta, you know, when, when, when Kentucky plays there because they fill that building. Now, Kentucky fans travel anywhere and everywhere. Uh, but when you make it easy for them, to get to a basketball game, um, they are going to overwhelm the other fan bases. So I'm not going to suggest this is the same as playing in Rupp Arena because it's not. Um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like Kentucky has a massive crowd advantage, and I do think that translates. Um, we watch Kentucky lose to inferior teams throughout the season. So, sure, it could happen again uh, you know, uh, tomorrow, but I'd be surprised if, if Kentucky lost. Kansas State is good enough to beat them, but I'd be surprised if Kentucky lost. Yeah, um, I would be surprised as well. Kansas State, listen, Weber has done himself done himself well in just getting to this point. And yeah, obviously, they get a break. They get UMBC in the, in the second round. But I, I'll also remind listeners that that is a – terrifying situation for a coach. Justin, like, you're like, okay, if we got to play the one, we're playing house money. Oh, we got to play the first ever 16 seed in the second round. Are you kidding me right now? And Weber in general, Kansas state fans have wanted him out for a long time. Despite all of that, by the way, I mean, Weber has made four tournaments in six years. Now he, his best seeding was his first year when he was a four, and then he's a nine. Now he's been a nine once before, and he's kind of squeaked in um, two of the four times he's gotten in. But at this point, you make a Sweet 16, you can finally get back there as a program. Um, I think if you're a Kansas State fan, you just you accept that this was a pretty solid year. Weber's going to be your coach. I, I you know I, I think that barring an absolute bottom out next season, he's the guy that you're still going to have there, and he's he's coached a team to a pretty solid defensive effort overall this season. By the way, playing in the toughest conference in America, uh, and the Big 12 has four teams in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2002. So the league has actually represented itself well here in the big dance and had some correlation with regular season performance overall. Dean Wade is an important player. He's a six foot ten guy who is uh, a pretty good shooter overall. He can step out and shoot it from deep. Um, He's got an underrated game, and just because Kansas State's not a sexy team, like you don't you don't turn on the TV to watch Kansas State unless 
literally you're a Big 12 fan or you are some sort of bizarre diehard college basketball fan. Otherwise, you're a K-State fan. That's the only reason you're watching. They don't have anyone that's really a, a standout, absolute stud of a player. But they're good enough to win the game. They're just going to need to have an absolutely huge defensive battle, and they are going to try and slow it down. I don't see any way they don't try doing that. And if you catch Kentucky on an off night, it absolutely can happen. They did not. Kentucky did not hit a three-pointer against Davidson. It was the first time... Since 1988 that Kentucky did not make one three-pointer in a game, it was an insane streak. It came to an end, and then ironically, it came to an end in which a game that it won. Uh, So don't expect that again if you're Kansas State and you're a Kansas State fan. But if you can get Kentucky not to shoot well from three, it's gotten a little bit better as the year has gone on. I think that's going to have to be your ticket. Uh, Maybe something of a rock fight, but we're on the same page here. We think Kentucky's going to win with some ease. Yeah, they shoot 36% from three-point range. That ranks 110th in the country. So they have gotten better because at one point they were way worse than that. I, I think that's true. Um, I'm sure that's it true. It was. Yeah, they were they were much more brutal like through December, no doubt. Yeah, okay. So uh, they've improved. Um, and really on neutral courts, uh, you know, outside of road games, they, they they haven't really slipped up much. I mentioned that they, they took a bunch of losses because they did. They're a 10-loss team. But – uh, most of them are, are you know, re- reasonable losses. They lost at South Carolina. Uh, they lost to UCLA on a neutral. They lost at Missouri. Um, you know, but basically their losses are to NCAA tournament teams. Like I'm looking at it now. I think the only loss to a non-tournament team is probably the South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're capable of losing to Kansas State. I'll be surprised if it happens. You are on the same page. I think when you make Kentucky uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the best, the highest seeded team in a regional and you allow Kentucky fans to overwhelm the, the arena, um, that's a recipe for getting to the Final Four. So we got Kentucky advancing to the Elite Eight. Who are they going to play? Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean or Nevada and Mariah Musselman. Yeah, give me Sister Jean and Team Gryffindor here, which, by the way, is a Harry Potter reference that I don't really truly understand. I, I'm, I feel kind of bad for like I've seen. I thought I think I see the first. I saw the first two Harry Potter movies like way back in the day. I haven't read the books. Are you at all versed when it comes to Harry Potter stuff? Because you have, you have a, a, a teenager now, so he might have been reading those books five six years ago. But I just want to know where you stand and how likely are you you are to drop. Uh, a Harry Potter reference on Twitter or on this very podcast? Um, very unlikely. I'm aware of Harry Potter. Like if you showed me a picture and said, who's that? I'd say, that's Harry Potter. Um, my son was into, my oldest son was into Harry Potter. I've done the ride at Disney World or wherever it is you do it. But I've, and I've seen probably every scene from, you know, however many of those films that there are, but I've never actually sat down and watched one of those films, like from start to finish. I, you know, I'd catch it when, when the, when my oldest son was watching it. Um, but I've never actually seen, seen one. I think I might've even taken him to the, to the theater to see one. But I, I think I remember also falling asleep in the movie. I don't know. Not really my thing. I don't think. Theater, huh? Theater. Like what do you call it? Theater. <laughs> theater. I can't call it a theater. I mean, you, you can, but we're, the lexicon continues. Um, so anyway, this is, this is where Mississippi and Connecticut uh, collide. I guess so. Theater. All right. Um, Too any, late. Anyway, Loyola is my pick in this game. This isn't just. This is an awesome game. Okay, because 
Both of these teams are, by the way, really good teams. I mean, Nevada was the clear-cut best team in the Mountain West. It was the preseason pick to win the league, and it lived up to that even though it fell in this league tournament. Loyola wasn't seen as the preseason favorite in the Missouri Valley, but it unequivocally got through the league schedule, and that was definitely the best the best team in there. And what, I, what I've noticed here is, maybe for right or for wrong, because you'll often get, or not often, but maybe one or two times every, every tournament, you'll have a... A, a low major team or just a team from a mid-major league get into the tournament and they'll have either won like 17 in a row or they'll have won 18 of their past 19 games or something like that. Well, that's the case with Loyola. They've lost once since January 3rd and it was a two-point loss on the road to a Bradley team that was, you know, halfway decent, I guess. But even if you want to call it a bad loss, that's the only time they've taken an L here. This is a really good team and they've got good, reliable defense. Not only that, They're top 15 in both two-point and three-point percentage, which is a good sign. If you've got a really solid defense and they play it relatively slow, you saw, like, in particular, if you saw the way they played against Tennessee, um, that's the way they like to play basketball. And it can potentially hurt you if you're, you know, in games that are just going to be decided in the mid-60s, but it also... If you're playing from that underdog role, it almost enhances your chances because you want to be right there no matter what because you know... And Catlanta might be the exception here if they get if they meet in the Elite Eight. But the crowd's going to be pulling for you under four minutes to go because you are the double-digit seed. So that actually benefits Loyola, man. Andre Jackson's a really good player. Clayton, Clayton Custer, I think – I don't have this in front of me. I think he was the Missouri Valley Player of the Year. If not, he was certainly one of the three best guys in the league. Obviously, Dante Ingram hit the big-time shot. This game has the potential to be a lot of fun. Nevada is extremely talented on offense – it has the two best players on the floor. I just happen to think Loyola is legitimately a very good team. Like I think Loyola is one of the eight or nine best teams left in the field, and I've I've got them moving on here. But um, agree or disagree? And what are just your? I don't know about expectations, GP, but I just love the fact that this game is getting played for two reasons. One, it guarantees us an unexpected story in the Elite Eight, so a team will be playing for a Final Four bid that no one saw coming. And two, it's not like these are just like a couple of twelve seeds that are kind of like. Eh, oh, it's kind of cool. No, they're actually both really good teams, so we're rewarded with that as well. Right. It's um, obviously, you know, schools that operate outside of, of, you know, the the normal power structure of college basketball. It's teams that are built in in at least with Nevada in in an unconventional way. Lots of transfers um, that Mus has you know really tapped into a, a formula there that has worked well for him brilliantly. He's only in his third year. He's been to back-to-back NCAA tournaments, and now he's in the Sweet 16. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the matchup as well. It guarantees that we're going to have a, a, an amazing – I don't want to say a unex, totally unexpected out-of-nowhere appearance in the Elite Eight because, like you said, both these teams have been really good all year long. Um, you know, they're both conference champions. Um, but either way – I, you know, my bracket didn't have Nevada in the Elite Eight, and my bracket didn't have Loyola Chicago in the Elite Eight, and one of them is going to be in the Elite Eight. It's a total coin flip of a game. I mean, a total coin flip. I think Nevada's maybe favored by one. I'll take the Wolfpack, um, but my guess is we're going to be at the under four, and we're going to be in a one-possession game, and you know, either Nevada's going to make a shot and get a stop, or, or Loyola Chicago is going to make a, a shot and get a, a stop. I'll I'll put Nevada against Kentucky in the regional final. But I recognize that really both those games could could go either way. But certainly uh, Nevada, Loyola, Chicago could go either way. Yeah, and we will, by the way, so listeners know, um, we're going to podcast against either 
Uh, say late Friday, right? Yeah, late Friday or early Saturday. Let's just see how let's see how this goes because I'll be at the games in Boston. Um, but so yeah, we'll be previewing again the regional finals because we got to get these three podcasts in, and uh, we know you guys are eager to hear them, and we we appreciate that very much. But uh, but there we go. Where do you want to? What region do you want to go to next? Let's go down to the one that also has games on Thursday night. And like you said, we will get into the regional finals on that Friday night slash Saturday morning podcast uh, because uh, no sense in getting into hypothetical discussions. We'll just wait, see how those games actually unfold, and then we'll know exactly what we're dealing with. Let's go down to the West Regional uh, because they are playing on Thursday night as well. It's Florida State Gonzaga. It's Michigan, Texas A&M. Uh, so the one seed here is gone. That's Xavier. The two seed here is gone. That's North Carolina. It leaves Michigan as the highest seeded team. And Gonzaga, obviously, two wins away from its second consecutive Final Four. Florida State, Gonzaga. I, I guess I know you're going Gonzaga because you hate Florida State. You hate the Seminoles <laughs> and everything about them. Oh, man. <laughs> I am going to pick Gonzaga here. Yes. Uh, surprise, surprise. Well, first of all, who are you going to pick here? I'm taking I'm taking the Zags. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, for all of um, like the, the craziness of the first you know weekend of the NCAA tournament, three of my four Final Four picks are actually still alive, and Gonzaga was one of them. I'm not just saying Gonzaga to the Final Four now. I said it on Selection Sunday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, Gonzaga. Well, here's what's interesting. And by the way, listen, a shout to Stan Jones and everyone with Florida State. I just I, I got to take Gonzaga here. Um, but if Florida State wins, honestly, that would be. A hell of a, a stunning Elite Eight run, and good on them for doing so. And it would come kind of ironically a year after they were a three seed, and they were really talented last year, couldn't break through. They didn't even get out of the first weekend. Uh, Gonzaga was a very – so Gonzaga and Michigan, uh, Michigan before the brackets were released was discussed, and, and still even so, uh, having looked at uh, some friends and family members' bracket picks, uh, plenty trendy Final Four pick. And then Gonzaga – uh, with you and a lot of people have put Gonzaga into the final four, like did when the brackets were released. So this is, it's interesting that the one and two are gone in this region because now there's a really solid shot that one of those two teams will wind up uh, telling the prophecy to be true there. And that doesn't always happen when you're looking at a three, four, or five seed that winds up being a trendy final four pick. In fact, more often than not, that doesn't be the, that's not the case. That doesn't wind up happening. But it's probably going to happen here. I will take Gonzaga to win. I have a story up at CBSSports.com that just has a quick preview of all the regional semis, and it's ranking them kind of in order of, of – of you know least compelling to most, and I do have Gonzaga, Florida State as the least compelling. But GP, you would you would you agree with that? And if you disagree, what to you is the least compelling of the of the eight games in the Sweet Sixteen? You know what? I don't want to get too far off subject, but I don't. Oh, let, let me ask you this: What's the most compelling? Somebody asked me the other day. So, what's your favorite Sweet Sixteen game? And I looked at him. I was like, I don't know. I don't think any of them are like, oh, wow. There's no, like, absolute blowout blockbuster. Personally, Javon Carter versus Jalen Brunson alone has me at Villanova, West Virginia at the top because I actually think West Virginia is also capable of beating Villanova, and Villanova's trying to get to another Final Four. So with how good Villanova has looked, playing an old Big East foe in Boston, a former Big East city, I think that, to me, that's the, that just barely edged out Loyola, Nevada, for me personally. Yeah, like, I, I don't know that there's a there's a – Obviously, it's the NCAA tournament. It's the Sweet 16. So I guess all of these are, are must-see if you're a college basketball fan. But so often in the Sweet 16, we get a matchup where we go, oh, that's going to be tremendous. And I don't know that we have that kind of bold headline-grabbing matchup 
uh, now the games will tip and then like we'll get great games and, and close games and surprising results and hopefully buzzer beaters. But just uh, looking at the matchup, I don't know that that one is is tremendous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Florida State Gonzaga. I don't know. I mean, Kansas Clemson. Does that interest you? I think it only interests me from the standpoint of and we'll get to this when we get to the region. Um, I got a weird feeling that that like it's so off the radar that I've got a feeling that that Clemson might make it tighter than people think. But anyway, so so yeah, we both got Gonzaga winning against Florida State, um, and then Michigan A and M is really intriguing to me because they are built very differently. And A and M is going to try and win down low. Michigan has the better guards. Michigan is really good defensively, but don't underestimate John Beeline. And if he is able from a from a, tact- a tactician standpoint. And an X and O standpoint of introducing something in this game with a few extra days to prep, it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. They're they're probably still going to have to rely on that defense, and Xavier Simpson is is uh I think going to show up and have a nice game. I I wonder if A and M can again be as impressive with its front court as it has been. It looks so good in that first weekend. Uh, I guess this game is probably going to be decided in the sixties, but this of the of the. Of the two in L.A., this one is more intriguing to me. GP, do you have the times in front of you? I'm guessing this is the this this is the more compelling game, which usually means it's the second tip. Is that right? Does Gonzaga, Florida State tip first in L.A.? No, um, Texas A&M, Michigan tips first, 7:37 Eastern. That's followed by Florida State, Gonzaga, uh, late a 10:07 Eastern tip. I wonder if the rationalization there is simply. We have one West Coast team. Let's put them in the late game. That's a fair rationalization if that is indeed the case, and I, and that would make sense if it was. Um, I will take A&M to win this, and we, we, we redid our picks on CBSSports.com, uh, as we do every year, but as we really had to do just in terms of Elite Eight stuff. You still have three of your four Final Four teams alive. I have – hold on. I have one. <laughs> do I have one? Uh, yes, I have one. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it goes. Um, no, wait, is it? No, wait. Is, yeah, no, I have one. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought I picked Duke, but I definitely didn't pick Duke. I took Michigan State. Um, so I have A&M winning in this game and I'm going to listen. Maybe, maybe it winds up being foolish once this game gets played and, and beeline goes beeline and they look really good and they're able to kind of just win 68, 62 in like a crazy convincing fashion. But I really like the way I like I almost think it got it was it got its recognition, but like the way A and M knocked out Carolina was one of the three or four most impressive performances of the tournament so far. I'm gonna go with them off of that and uh, give me the Aggies. What about you? Yeah, in the West Regional, I actually had Gonzaga and Michigan on Selection Sunday playing. I had I had Gonzaga beating Xavier. Obviously, they didn't do that because Florida State handled Xavier. And I had Michigan beating North Carolina. Obviously, they won't have to do that because A&M handled North Carolina. But I did have Michigan and Gonzaga playing in the West Regional Final. So I'll just go with Michigan. Like, I'll just stick with my original bracket. Obviously, A&M has has been better in this tournament than – I was going to say all season, but they were really good early, and then they just became a mess because of suspensions, whatever. Uh, But, you know, now they're healthy. They are not suspended, and um, they're rolling people. You know, just absolutely ran North Carolina completely off the court. And so, to me, this is a really interesting game because, you know, I I think everybody understands Michigan's winning streak. You know, they they win the Big Ten tournament, and, um, you know, they they get past Montana in the round of 64. 
uh, knock out Houston on a buzzer beater in the round of 32, and here they are. I, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but it does feel like a coin flip game. Uh, but I will take Michigan to advance uh, to the West Regional Final. I got Michigan and Gonzaga uh, playing on Saturday for the right to go to a Final Four. Let's get to the East Regional where uh, we get Villanova, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, Purdue. So I think I said this on the last podcast. This is the one regional where you look at the four teams still alive, and they all at one point or another in this season have looked like a legitimate Final Four team. It's not true everywhere else. Like Kansas State's still alive in the South Regionals. Kansas State has never looked like a Final Four team. Um, you know, Florida State is still alive in the West Regional, as is Texas A&M. You know, certainly there was never a point where Florida State looked like a Final Four team. You get Clemson still alive and Syracuse still alive in the Midwest Regional. Neither of those look like Final Four teams, especially after Clemson lost Dante Grantham. Uh, but in the East, Villanova, it goes without saying, West Virginia has been a top 20 team all year. Uh, Texas Tech has been a you know a top 20 team basically all season, top 10 at some points. And Purdue um, you know, it has been a top 10 team all season. The loss of Isaac Haas changes things, but um, still, there's nothing crazy about Purdue getting there. Uh, I've got Villanova you know, in the Final Four on Selection Sunday, so I'm not going to move off that now. And I believe I would have taken Purdue over Texas Tech if Isaac Haas was playing, but I think the loss of Haas, this is where it probably catches up with them. Uh, I'll take Villanova and, and Texas Tech to play in the East Regional Final. Yeah, I'll be there in Boston. And uh, so with Purdue, real quick here. Um, so our, our Jerry Palm is a Purdue alumnus, and uh, he will actually also be in the building but um, he called me earlier today, and he's working this story, man. So they have built Isaac Haas a brace. Um, it is to be determined, one, if the brace even passes specifications, and two, if Haas is even still able to rebound and, like, shoot a foul shot. Because if he can't do that, Painter's not going to put him on the floor. So it's not 100% that Haas will not play. There is a, a faint chance, um, but per, potentially, like I, I don't like I don't know actually. Like I don't know if a fractured elbow. His it, elbow was fractured. I what know, but I don't. Like, did you see him shooting the other day? I know he was in pain. I mean, it hurt. They're trying. I, I, if I were Purdue, I'd be scared. If I put him out there, like, do you get into Hackahoss? And you just right. say, hey, let's go make the guy with the fractured elbow shoot free throws. Exactly, and then in effect, it's a turnover, right? So. Sure. Do you want to get into that? And I don't know if, like, if he were to play right now or if he, was to, if he was to play Sunday if they made the Elite Eight, like, will it be any different from a pain perspective? I'm guessing not because it's a fracture, but I don't know. And, and also what I don't know is, like, if they're able to give him some sort of drug, what drugs are, are able to be administered and what aren't, and if the <laughs> ones that are would have any sort of impact, if they would consider that. So there's just a little bit of something there, I guess, overall. I still have – I got to stick. This is my only Final Four team. It's my national championship pick from the start of the bracket. I will stick with Purdue to beat Texas Tech. Damn, Texas Tech looked good against Florida. And they have the potential to beat Purdue, obviously. But if things really went sideways for Purdue, and like Keenan Evans, who's playing with a sprained toe, um, and that's one of those things I was, I was reading up on it, where it's just he's going to have to deal with this 
for the rest of the tournament, no matter what. And if he's able to withstand the pain and play through it, um, man, you could see a Texas. If they won, they they are good enough to win in such a style where you'll be like, okay, what Texas Tech just did to Purdue, they can beat Villanova. Like they have that capability. So that's why it's interesting. I'll stick with Purdue. I in fact expect them to have a really good three-point shooting night on Friday, and that's what's going to get him past the Red Raiders. But it feels like a toss-up game. And then you got Villanova, West Virginia. And, see, Jalen Brunson is – Chris Mack has that famous quote from this year where it's like if you peeled his face off, wires would be coming out of it because he's almost – he's just an android. Like the way he's able to play and, and keep a steady heartbeat and just flatline in a good way throughout a game is such an, is such an advantage for him and his team. And yet Javon Carter is such a good – and aggressive, but not a cocky defender. Like, he is a veteran player who I am really intrigued to see if he can even throw Brunson off his game, and even if he doesn't, how much success he has against him. That's a very intriguing head-to-head matchup. And overall, West Virginia has the guys. I mean, Sagaba Kanate, who sounds like a... Street Fighter 2 kill move, that name. Like, that is just a tremendous name for a player and is one of the best shot blockers in the country. Wish will... my name was Sagaba Kanate. Oh, dude, it's awesome. And I and will he... If I'd say, welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast, I'm Sagaba Kanate. <laughs> how, much, how much better is that than Gary Parrish? I, I get so mad at my parents all the time when I hear awesome names. Like, you could have named me anything. Named you named Gary, Gary Parrish? First of all, have you ever met a child under the age of like fifteen named Gary? No, you, you won't. Like, there's actually been a study on this. We're we're going extinct. We're 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 like a saber tooth tiger. We're I'm an endangered species. Gary, it's only it is like yeah. And you know what? You're no. You don't even like remind me of a Gary. I got to be honest. There's not a lot of Gary in you. I don't know. The only baby Garys that exist, they are either named after a father or a grandfather. It's a family name. Nobody is just like. There is no scenario under which Billy and Sandy have a baby and they name it Gary. That does not happen. The only Garys you see – and I'm a junior. I mean my, my father's Gary Paris Sr. What I wish – one of my biggest regrets in life because my middle name's Turner. I wish I was Turner Parish. Turner solid. Turner solid, I see, think. See, you would have actually had a solid – see, and I know you played some hardball when you were younger. See, Turner Parish. You're probably getting a solid low-level D1 offer to play some baseball in Turner yeah, Parish. Yeah, and uh, now stepping to the plate, number 14, Turner Parish. Sounds good. I wish I was Turner Parish. Turner Parish turning too. Like, it, it, Man. Like, it's, the problem with Gary Parish, besides Gary stupid, is that it almost kind of rot Gary Perry, Gary Perry. <laughs> it's like, ugh, I hate my name. I want to be Sagabat Kanate. So do I. Um, will he be? Uh, will he be matched up on, on Mikael Bridges? And if so, uh, that could be a lot of fun. So, um, the East. I, I'm loving that I'm going to these games because it's it's such a balanced region with, as you said, four really good teams who have looked like Final Four quality teams this season. And so we could wind up having uh, the best of both worlds: really good teams and really good games. Both those uh, present really good opportunities. We'll see what happens there. Um, but we are on the same – no, we are not on the same page. We both have Nova. You're going to take Texas Tech because, no, Isaac Haas for Purdue. I will uh, you know, stubbornly stick with the Boilermakers. So we both, ha- uh, we both have Nova in the Elite Eight and then uh, a difference there on the bottom half of that bracket. Let's go down to the West Regional then uh, where Kansas and Clemson are playing in the early game. That's going to tip on Friday at 7.07. And then uh, Syracuse Duke, of course, is the headliner there, if only because 
I mean, two big brands and two Hall of Fame coaches, obviously Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim. We'll start with Kansas-Clemson. Kansas is clearly better, but Kansas has had so many moments this season where you go, ooh, I can't believe they lost that game. Even though they, you know, Big 12 uh, regular season champs, Big 12 tournament champs, one seed in the tournament, uh, I think you and I are in agreement. This Kansas team is not um, perfect and is not even what we would describe. I don't want to speak for you. Disagree if you if you want. I, I don't think when you start talking about Kansas teams coached by Bill Self, even though this one is just as accomplished as any other, I don't know that it's as good as most. I agree. And Self's done a really good job coaching this team up this year. Um, Devontae Graham has uh, played at a first-team All-America level, and yet at the same time, uh, because he was never in the conversation for player of the year at any point, like he's always been just a step behind when it comes to that. He hasn't received nearly as many accolades or consistent conversation as in pub as, as Mason did last year when Mason was awesome. And by the way, Graham was right there playing with him, having a good season overall. But, you know, if you're able to get to a Final Four, some of that will certainly change, particularly if you hit a buzzer beater, if you're just consistent across two games. But Kansas has had its issues. Clemson ranks seventh right now in Ken Palm in defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, Kansas is fifth in offense. Clemson seven on defense. That's obviously going to be the intriguing thing to watch there. Here's the thing. Kansas was this weird, trendy talking point about losing to Penn, and then Penn did push him early. Like, it was a thing for the first half and all that, and then they eventually ran away from him. And then Seton Hall gave him a really good game, and in fact, there was a bogus moving screen call. Did you see when that happened? Were you uh, in the in the bunker or whatever uh, at the network when Seton Hall had that call go against him with, like, 45 seconds to go? I think I remember that, but this stuff all runs together. Yeah, I'm yeah. Lucky, so, I, I'm lucky if I can even remember. I know, I know. Yeah, we, we've <laughs> talked about this. Like, you've got the worst memory ever. So um, that's what happens when you get named Gary. So the, the, uh, the Pirates actually had a good shot at, at picking off Kansas, and that moving screen was some weak sauce there. So oh, Remember that. Yo, that was terrible. Yeah, you like you never see that get called, like, ever. Like, I'm all for, like, actually, sometimes I feel like they don't call moving screens when they should. And then when they do, I'm like, what the hell? What, what are you doing? Like, that was not warranted whatsoever. So my point is, Kansas, yeah, they won 83-79 over Seton Hall. But if, that's, if that screen doesn't get called, by the way, in the flow of that play, was it Desi? I think Desi Rodriguez hit the three. So it would have been a different game in those final 40 seconds. Anything can happen there. But nevertheless, Kansas moves on. Now, Clemson. We both had New Mexico State beating them, okay? And then they go out, they play a strong game, they win by 11. And then they play an Auburn team. I had Auburn over Clemson. I believe you had Auburn over Clemson. Uh, no. 84-53, and at one point it was 70-29. to So my point is, Clemson has been tremendous in this tournament, and if it's possible to come from the ACC – win your first two games by more than 40 points and get into the Sweet 16 and fly under the radar, Clemson's the only program that could do it. They, no one's paying attention to them. I have Kansas winning this game, but I got this weird feeling about me that this might actually be one of the two or three best of the, of the eight regional semifinals we get. I think Kansas handled Clemson more easily than it handled Seton Hall. And now that I remember that moving screen, <laughs> um, it's one thing like to even call a moving screen there. In that Seton Hall Kansas game, like if you, if you caught it, I'd be like, man, don't call that. It wasn't even a moving screen. Like, it, like I would, I would have probably been frustrated if it was actually a moving screen that got called a moving screen. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't illegal. Oh yeah, that was terrible. Uh, so anyway, Kansas advances. Um, I think Kansas will will hand. I'll just leave it at that. 
I do. Kansas was in a fight with Seton Hall in the final minute. I do not think Kansas will be in a fight with Clemson in the final minute. I think Bill Self's team is going to be uh, in the Elite Eight, and I think they're going to play Duke. Um, you know, at, at this point, Syracuse has. I, I think I picked against Syracuse every time they played, so I, perhaps I'll be wrong again. But I, I just think. Well, no. Let me let me throw this at you, Parrish. First of all, imagine if Syracuse wins this game. <laughs> Come on. Like, if that happens, oh, my God. So my question to you is this. If Syracuse actually beats Duke, how – can you lay out a – this is actually a classic, like, you go on a sports radio interview at some station. Hey, uh, if this team's going to win, how are they going to do it? But I'm, I'm asking you this. Like, can you envision a scenario in which Syracuse actually does this and beats Duke? Oh, sure. You know, I, I, you do get asked these questions all the time. You know, can Syracuse beat Duke? Can Clemson beat Kansas? And my answer is always, well, sure. I don't think they will, but it's a 40-minute game. You know, we're not playing a seven-game series or a five-game series or a three-game series. It's one 40-minute game with a, a short three-point line, and, the, and, a, and it could be decided by foul trouble, a hot shooter, a bad shooting performance. Who knows? An injury, a hamstring, you know, a, a fractured elbow. Uh, sure, Syracuse can beat Duke, but I don't think Syracuse will beat Duke because I think Duke um, is is has too many shooters on the court at the same time that they are not going to throw up a whatever for 37 performance that Michigan State did. I, I don't think Duke is going to shoot it poorly the way that Michigan State shot it poorly. You know, Grayson's a great shooter. Obviously, Gary Trent is a terrific shooter. As a team, they shoot. 38.3% from the arc that's 40th in the country. Uh, I just and, – and they're not unfamiliar with this. They deal with Syracuse in their league. I, I just – I actually think Duke's going to win this pretty easily. I do too. This is the biggest line of the eight sem- regional semifinals. Duke is favored by 11.5 points. And I'm interested to see if Trayvon Duvall cannot turn it over against the Syracuse defense passing. Obviously, getting to that soft middle part of the zone will be intriguing. I think Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley are skilled enough, and they've been practicing with this 2-3 that they're actually prepared to do this. And it is interesting that uh, Bayheim and Krzyzewski, it is the most inexperienced rosters each of them have both ever had. And while Bayheim always runs the 2-3, Krzyzewski, he's never implemented it this much in a season. So it's uh, only appropriate, I guess, that these guys, who are obviously really good friends, coached on the United States men's basketball Olympic team together with Kay running the squad and Bayheim being one of his assistants. They know each other, they know their scheme so well. Um, for them to face off in the tournament, um, just kind of a cool, unexpected thing, even if, you know, if you think Syracuse is just like, what is this team and how did they beat Michigan State? Uh, from that other angle, though, I think that's pretty intriguing. I think I think Duke will win easily. They beat Syracuse by 16 uh, at Cameron Indoor about three and a half weeks ago. I'll say they win. I think the line's going to be pretty close. Like, I think Duke will win by a dominant 12 or 13 points here. And if Grayson or Gary Trent don't even shoot it well from deep, I just think they've got enough presence on the in, in the interior. And I trust Bagley overall that they'll be able to pull it out. But if that doesn't happen, if Syracuse – if they do that, I mean, we might have to leave the podcast with that because that would be truly insane. Beheim has said himself that this team is not great. It has certainly got its flaws – but you get a chance, man. They're playing there in Omaha, and uh, that will be uh, a very interesting one. And obviously that as well is a, uh, is a late tip on Friday. 
remember, you can follow the NCAA tournament, what's left of it, at CBS Sports HQ. It's a brand-new, free, 24-7 streaming sports information channel. It's got scores, news, highlights, analysis from all sorts of different people, myself included, Matt Norlander included. It covers all sports, not just college basketball. So check it out if you get a chance. If you haven't already, I think you'll dig it. You can do it. Uh, via the CBS Sports app for Apple TV, for Roku, for your phone, and other connected devices. Or you can just watch online at cbssportshq.com, cbssportshq.com. Before we get out of here, some coaching developments. It became official on Tuesday. Uh, Penny Hardaway has been named the uh, men's basketball coach at his alma mater, the University of Memphis. Has Penny Fever reached Connecticut yet, Norlander? Because it is crazy in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> it has not reached Connecticut. <laughs> Are you sure? Go outside and see. I'm. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm positive. In fact, I don't want to go outside because for the very reasons you are talking to me from Detroit right now and not New York City is why I don't want to step outside. We're trying to get past this uh, snowstorm, which, by the way, I'll get to Penny in just a second. But West Virginia and Texas Tech left early for Boston. Villanova did not, and I believe is now bussing to Boston, which is like, I think like a five and a half hour drive for them. So the uh, the winter storm has actually had an effect here on the NCAA tournament. With Penny Hardaway, it is, we are now getting to the point, GP, we got to have at least 10 guys now that played in the NBA that are, uh, that are coaching in college basketball, or I should say played in the NBA and are coaching either for their alma mater or just, you know, familiar faces kind of coming home kind of deal, Penny being the latest uh, in that group. And you bring him in because you know it's going to boost morale in a big way, and you know that he is uh, – it's not just that – and you can speak obviously so well to this. It's not just that he was a high school coach and an AU coach, and he's been around uh, a lot of top prospects, and he's coached James Wiseman, who many think is actually the best high school basketball player right now. Like Of all the human beings playing American high school basketball, James Wiseman is the most talented one. But he was in that scene and did that stuff – for a lot of the right reasons. I mean, I've been to the Peach Jam, and I've seen Penny Hardaway coaching that team and putting a lot of of sweat equity into that program that he funded and built up. And so he was doing it uh, earnestly and with good intentions. And now um, it's the kind of situation where potentially this has an amazing outcome for for him and for that city and that program. But that's a long way to go here. We have to see if he can actually do this, what kind of staff he's going to assemble, and if he can, you know, get beyond the first two years where if next year they stink, it's like, okay, just get Penny a year, get his recruits in and see what happens in year two and then year three. But it is an intriguing hire. It is a name hire. It is a celebrity hire that is obviously good for the league in a big way. Good for college basketball. Um, I went on uh, Calkins' show, uh, Jeff Calkins, uh, yesterday, I think it was. I'm losing track of my days here and just kind of was asked to evaluate like how I think this is going to go. And, I, I don't know, but I do know this. Like He's getting four years minimum. Like He'll get at least twice as long as Tubby got, and, and maybe you can say rightfully so. Uh, but one interesting facet to me was I don't think he's getting paid all that much, but then again, he might not need to get paid because he made a ton of money in endorsements in an NBA stuff, so this might be the perfect situation for Memphis in that you can get a guy in. Let's just see how you do as a head coach. You've never done it before, and then we'll really we'll pony up to pay. But since you're not in a desperate situation anyway, might as well just take this kind of approach. And uh, clearly he wanted the job so bad he was willing to do it. Yeah, for him, I don't want to say money doesn't matter, but he understands as well as anybody the financial restraints that uh, the Tubby Smith hire uh, the, the, uh, placed upon that university. 
They had to buy Tubby out at around $10 million. And Penny doesn't need money. He made $120 million in the NBA. That doesn't even count his Nike stuff. And he's still getting those Nike checks because I believe his shoe is the second best-selling shoe in Nike history behind Jordan's. Like he is still immensely popular, popular with young people because of that shoe. There are people who have never seen Penny Hardaway actually play basketball, but, um, but they know him because of that shoe. And the little Penny thing still resonates. I mean, I, every interview I've done on radio shows across the country about you know, college basketball, and inevitably they ask a Penny question, somebody brings up Lil Penny all the time. Like if Memphis doesn't like, bring back Lil they Penny. Gotta, they got to do it. Got to figure it out. Like, well, I don't know how. I don't like maybe you could even get Chris Rock to do it. If it's if it's only a local commercial, um, you know, you could probably get Chris Rock to bring that character back or you could probably get somebody who could do an impersonation of it close enough to where it worked. I just think that not capitalizing on that is, is probably a marketing mistake. I'm glad you said what you said about Penny's background, because obviously when Memphis makes this hire, people talk about uh, just like Pat Ewing at Georgetown, just like Chris Mullen at St. John's. It's actually very different. Um, you know, Penny didn't get into coaching because he always dreamed of being a coach. He didn't get into coaching because he wanted to be a college coach. Um, I, I know people in Memphis know this story, but people listening right now might not. His best friend was a man named Des Merriweather. He coached a middle school team in Memphis. You know, and Penny is one of these uh, Memphians who went off to play in the NBA, but he came back. You know, not every successful Memphian who goes off to great things comes back. Justin Timberlake is from Memphis. He does not live in Memphis. He could live anywhere he wants. He chooses not Memphis. Penny chose Memphis. He came back, and that matters to Memphians. And he gets a phone call from, you know, his, one of his childhood friends. And he wanted Penny to come help him teach his middle school kids how to attack a zone. And so Penny went said, sure, I'll, I'll come by. And one practice turned into another practice, turned into another practice. Next thing you know, he's an assistant middle school coach. That's where this started. Des was diagnosed with, I believe, colon cancer. Uh, took over, the, And so Penny had to take over the team. Just coaching middle school kids. That's what he was doing. And then that morphed into Team Penny because he, you know, those kids got older. And he said, okay, well, I want to keep coaching them. And so that morphed into Team Penny, which was a Nike EYBL team. And then that morphed into the opportunity to coach East High School. So I know on some level, this looks like former NBA player, you know, just wants to go coach at his alma mater. But if you look a little below the surface, you know, and you, you change his name from Penny Hardaway to something else, he would actually be considered a, a grinder, you know, that kind of story. Guy coached middle schools, worked his way up to high schools, worked his way up to AAU, and now he's going to be a college coach. Like, that's a story that would be amazing if, if it weren't Penny Hardaway. I think it gets twisted into something a little different because it is former NBA star uh, Penny Hardaway. He um, was introduced Tuesday, and I thought it was interesting because Dr. David Rudd, the president of the university, uh, in his opening remarks said, we will not lower the expectations for this program. And that was basically him saying, yeah, our coach, previous coach, won 21 games. That ain't good enough. 20 of them were against bums or, or mediocre teams. We didn't sniff the NIT. That's not good enough. Do not lower expectations, then exceed those low expectations and try to claim success. Not good enough. And one of the things he mentioned was that the estimates are that the University of Memphis men's basketball program, which is typically a money maker. And it has to be for that athletic department because Memphis is not in the SEC or the Big 12. They don't get those kinds of television checks. Uh, the, the program lost $4.7 million this season. $4.7 million. 
and season ticket sales dropped to 4,115, which is a modern era low. Attendance dropped to around 6,000 tickets sold per game, which is a 48-year low. Just four years ago under Josh Pastner, they, they sold 16,000 tickets per game. This past year, Chubby Smith, it's around six. I mean, that 10,000 tickets per game, that's the drop. And so it, it was just a reminder of, of what I'd been saying literally all season. Um, the only thing more expensive than buying out Tubby Smith at $10 million was would have been keeping Tubby Smith and le- allowing him to continue uh, to run this program into irrelevancy. Uh, that's why Tubby Smith was moved after two years. And, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway was the only sensible option because he was going to create enthusiasm, which he's already done. The season ticket sales slash donation issue was going to take care of itself. It already has. You know, season tickets, like you can't even get through to the Memphis ticket office. You know, Memphians want badly for him to succeed, if only because they don't want him to fail. They don't want to think of Penny Hardaway as unsuccessful. They like care about him that much. So fans are going to do everything they can do to put him in a position to succeed. And the, the first thing they can do is, is, is make that building look the way Memphis basketball used to look. And uh, you can, you're seeing the impact of that already on that, on that campus. And then the recruiting, you know, he's got ties to, as you mentioned, James Wiseman, but all sorts of other high-level prospects, including Alex Lomax, um, you know, a four-star point guard from East High, who just won a third straight state championship, also played for Team Penny. And Alex Lomax, within hours of Penny Hardaway being introduced, got his release from his national letter of intent from Wichita State. He had signed with them in the early period, and now he's going to, to go to the University of Memphis. So in a, in a matter of hours, check this out. Penny Hardaway was able to do something that Tubby Smith was never able to do, which is to secure a commitment from a Memphis kid. Two years, Tubby Steph was in place. They could not get a Memphis kid or a four-star prospect. Penny got it done in a matter of hours. And obviously the city's excited about that. He's the first of many to come. And what was interesting about uh, about yesterday, I had Penny on the radio show, but even before that at the press conference, he was asked about Memphis fans' quote, unrealistic expectations. This is the way it was put to him. He said, you know, one of the uh, local news guys said, you know, Memphis fans have unrealistic expectations that you're supposed to get every kid you've ever coached, you know, ever had any connection with. Couldn't say the name, but the implication was James Wiseman, Chandler Lawson, DJ Jeffries, who's now committed to Kentucky. Um, And I, I thought Penny would, you know, downplay the expectations. Instead, he said, Oh, those are reasonable expectations. Like he basically said, yeah, I'm planning to get everybody. And so I know DJ Jeffries is committed to Kentucky, but that recruitment ain't over. And I know James Wiseman has long been considered a lock for Kentucky, but I don't know that that's a lock anymore. That's fascinating. I mean, come on now. Like I I even talked to Penny about it subsequently. I was like, you had an opportunity to downplay those expectations. The guy even called them unrealistic. And you actually stopped him and said they are realistic. And and it's like, whoa, he's – he thinks he's getting – I don't know if he's going to get James Wiseman. He thinks he is. I don't know if he's going to get DJ Jeffries. He thinks he is. And he got Alex Lomax done in a matter of hours. And I do want to say awesome on Greg Marshall because Greg did not have to let Alex out of that letter of intent. He could have fought it. He could have complicated it. And instead, um, he did, by his own admission, the, the right thing. And I was talking to Greg last night, and he said, listen, it sucks for us. You know, um, we put in a lot of time, you know, we, we prioritized him, we passed on other point guards, but, um, you know, he needs to play with Penny. That's where he belongs and it's the right thing to do. And, and not every coach would, you know, as well as I, not every coach would have handled that, um, so smoothly. Yeah. Um, 
on Marshall, absolutely. Uh, I just shot him a text. I was like, listen, you didn't have to do that. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised you did it right away, but obviously the right thing is, you know, basically says never the wrong time to do the right kind of thing. But they're in the same league. So it is, uh, it is intriguing and <laughs> potentially – you know, he did the right thing. There's no doubt about it. And when you consider that coaches stepping in every single year in college football and college basketball, you shouldn't get credit for doing your taxes on time and, and raising your kids right and allowing kids to transfer. But at the same time, when the culture of coaching is to uh, here and there resist this, yeah, we can throw we can throw Marshall um, a quick round of applause on that because he got it done immediately without a fight. He knew it was the right thing to do. It would not. It was not easy, I'm sure, for him to do it because he's also got to face the kid in the league real quick. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, plenty in the offseason. But Penny trying to get those kids that are either you know on track to go to Kentucky or Jeffries, who's already uh, committed, I don't think he signed an L- NLI, though. Um, you're not no, sure- he's, not, he's committed. And okay. it's not a coincidence, by the way, when DJ Jeffries committed, it was the like the week that Memphis was going to fire Tubby Smith. They, you know, Kentucky, I don't want to say never, but rarely, to, you know, Jeffries is great, but he's like a top 30 guy. He's not a top 10 guy. Kentucky rarely takes commitments this early because he's class of 2019 mm-hmm. from borderline top 30 guys. It's not a coincidence that they got Jeffries to commit. They wanted to, um, you know, because Penny, I think behind the scenes was telling the people at Memphis, um, I can get these kids. And I think, I think the Kentucky staff probably wanted the perception that to be changed a little bit, like no, he ain't getting DJ Jeffries because yeah. he's committed to us. Because oh, yeah. because the worst thing for Kentucky was Penny getting that job. It doesn't mean that Kentucky is now you know going to be overwhelmed by Memphis. That's silly. But what it does mean is that there are two kids connected to Penny who are going to Kentucky, if not for Penny Hardaway being a college head coach. And now they still might go to Kentucky. But I tell you this. Penny doesn't think they're going to Kentucky. Yeah, and that's just a fascinating plot line, uh, considering obviously Cal spent so long at Memphis and turned that into a recruiting juggernaut, and now Penny stands to have a solid chance to bring it close to what Cal would have had. And now we'll see. I'm not going to count uh, chickens before they hatch here, but if you could have a um, a new competitor enter the arena when it comes to high-level prospects because Memphis is reliable with these kind of guys, uh, one or two every single year in the five-star variety, then obviously that makes it intriguing um, to have someone at Memphis potentially challenging Cal. So that that's kind of recruiting stuff that we always get into uh, plenty in the offseason, but in the freshness of the Hardaway hire, certainly worth addressing right now and something to keep in mind going forward because I know where you live – um, Memphis isn't in the tournament, and so this kind of stuff now becomes an almost daily news kind of thing and, and something that people are talking about. Literally yesterday was the most listened to day in the history of 92.9 FM ESPN. In terms of all the available metrics, like shattered every record. I mean, it, it could not be a bigger uh, story. And I, like you, I acknowledge, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, it could end up just not working. You know, it, coaches fail all the time, even guys with all sorts of experience. Um, but when I say this was the only sensible thing for Memphis to do, um, what I mean is that they needed a shot to the heart. You know, they needed something to take a program engulfed in negativity and, and bring excitement back to it. You know, they have three problems. One is recruiting, one is finances, and one is the on-the-court product. And Penny was always going to fix two of those problems immediately. The finances slash season ticket sales, fixed. That place will be packed next season. Recruiting, fixed. You already got Alex Lomax. 
Like he, in a matter of hours, got a, a prospect better than anybody Tubby Smith's staff was ever able to get. Recruiting is going to be fixed. He'll put a top 10 class together. I would have top 10 class in 2019, I would bet on right now. And then the on the corn product, we'll see. But, you know, the AAC is a league where if you get the type of uh, athlete that I think Penny's going to be able to get at Memphis, you're automatically better than half the schools. You know, you can't necessarily out talent everybody in the SEC or everybody in the Big 12. But in the AAC, if you just get high level talent, you're going to be automatically be better than about half the, the programs from the jump. And if you look around the country right now, Chris Chioza, Jonathan Williams III, LaRon Black, LaGerald Vick, Diedrich and KJ Lawson, Nick Marshall, Jeremiah Martin. If you just did a team of nothing but Memphis players, it would be a top 20 team in America. And um, I, I don't I know Penny is obviously going to recruit nationally, but um, if he can just use his local iconic status to secure local kids, um, he'll win a whole lot of games doing it that way. But we'll talk about that another day. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Sagabacanate, Ray Bucknell, Norlander. We're going to try to do this late Friday night? We're going to try. We'll see. <laughs> yes, we are absolutely going to try. We'll just see uh, how our situations align. And then at the studio at like 1 a.m. So I'm going to be in the arena, so it's a matter of – because the hotel is not like it was in Pittsburgh and Boston. Apparently, it's like a green line, four stops away kind of deal. So we are here, – here's what we can tell you. You're going to have hmm. a podcast waiting for you either first thing Saturday morning or late Saturday morning. We will obviously get it to you as soon as possible so we can recap everything that's happened on Thursday and Friday and give you a nice look ahead to everything on Saturday and Sunday. Here's what I think, if I can make an executive decision. Um, we're both going to be up ridiculously late on Friday night anyway, working. It sucks to get up ridiculously early. That's fine. I know. It's just a matter of can I get the podcast done at the arena or are they going to kick me out and then I'm going to have to you know, stall the podcast recording a good 15, 20, 25 minutes. That's all. Can I just wait for you to get to your hotel? I'll wait for you. You'll wait for me? Yes. I'll wait for you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'll be. I'll just be here with my headset on. All right, we'll get it done Friday night at some ungodly hour yet again, <laughs> so you guys will have it waiting for you bright and early Saturday morning. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball uh, Podcast via Apple Podcasts. So please go do that. You guys have been great um, uh, about subscribing, about uh, rating it favorably, five stars, nice comments. I really do read the comments, and uh, they make me smile. Most of them make me smile. So if you've written one that made me smile. Thank you for that. I mean it sincerely. Please go subscribe, and we will talk to you again late Friday slash early Saturday. Till then, take care.